Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We are thrilled you have joined us for this week's podcast. Today we are privileged to have a guest speaker. May God bless you as you enjoy this week's message. Good morning to you. I got to say, I love coming to a church where you can smile and you can lose weight and worship. I love that. I can't do that. There's a lot we can't do, I guess. We could try and try, but uh, we practice, don't we? We practice becoming like Jesus. That's what we've been talking about this weekend, becoming like Jesus by living in rhythm because we've been living out of sync. We hadn't been doing too good and we're burning the candle at both ends. We've been talking about being too busy, being too overly committed, living our lives on empty and calling the empty life the abundant life or calling the busy life the abundant life. And we've been talking about it this weekend and talking about how crazy that is because Jesus is for us to live before we die. I love the fact that he wants us to live, that he's pro-life, meaning bigger than being anti-abortion. He wants us to really live and to really live before we really die. And for some of us, that means we need to come back and practice not just lifting our leg over our head, but living in a healthy, sustainable rhythm for the long haul in life and not just burning out and burning up and then calling that, I did my best as a Christian. Well, we've had a good weekend. And this morning I want to bring to conclusion based on much of this book, The Jesus Life, Eight Ways to help you really live into the abundant life. And I want to pray for us because we're about ready to open up that good book, that feast that we need. It's been a long week for some of us. We're starting school, most of us, and we need to come to a place in our, our life where now we can really be fed. We've been stimulated. We bopped our head. We've moved our body. But now we really need to come to a place where this book could become feast for us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, how we need truth to set us free. Help us now in the next few moments to come into your word and may your word catch us. Bring us from the darkness of our life into the light of the life. Bring it from the plethora of ways to live our life to the one way of how to live our life. I ask this in the name of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. Jesus said, very simply, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Now, most of us come to church because we need truth. We're living in a world where it's hard to decide who's really telling the truth. Is it the Republicans? Is it the Democrats? We need the truth. We come to church because we know that churches like this believe the Bible and want the truth of the Bible. But even in the midst of coming to church, many of us have lost our way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the early church took this very seriously. They didn't even call the followers of Jesus. They were not called Christians. Six times in the book of Acts, the people who followed Jesus were called followers of the way. That's very interesting. And I just wonder what it would be like to help us refine our way if we could become more like way followers, following the one who said, I am the way. And the way that Jesus did his life will help us really live. If you've been coming to church, if you know Jesus, if you've been following him, if you've been baptized out in your beautiful baptistry, your sins have been forgiven. But you still may not know how to really live because you're trying to do too much. We're not being Sabbath keepers, that rhythm of every week where we're supposed to stop. Sabbath means to cease one day a week, to get in sync, get family have long lingering times where we could just be together and rest to engage in the next week. No, we just unplugged and stripped all the gears. We're living our life in fifth gear because we've stripped third and fourth. We're obligated every night of the week. We're overcommitted. We're overachieving. And we can't live in this breathless type of state. Well, Jesus knew that. He was a Sabbath keeper. He ceased one day a week. How are you doing on your ceasing? We need to cease. The rhythm of life is 6-1, not nine, let's go have lunch. Not 12 days of hard, strenuous, emotional, depleting, physical, emotional, spiritual outputting and then say, I'll have a two-hour break. No, the body was designed to live in rhythm, this rhythm we've been talking about. Jesus said these words, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. I'll teach you how to recover your life. And see, when we come in settings like this, we're learning how to recover what has just gone out from our reach. Real life, real marriage, not just... Uh, uh, um, a civil ceremony or Benji marrying us, but closing that gap in marriage, the space between a man and woman. We have to recover that. We have to recover how for busy workaholic men to recover in their addiction to come home and connect with their wives. There's a lot we have to recover. And so he says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do life. Of that. See, Jesus saves us from more than just our sins. He saves us from all of our lost ways. 
watch how I do life. And this morning I want to show you four different ways of how Jesus did his life. And I've selected these four because in being here at the church, I feel like these are four pretty prominent ways that I want us, I feel like the Lord Jesus wants us to be reminded. The first one is the way of hiddenness. Hiddenness. There's a scripture that goes with this from the Bible, and it says, Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. Some of you are living in hidden times. You've lost your job. The economy here has been very devastating. Used to be the president, now you're the third person. Used to be the manager, now you're the assistant manager. You get in touch with your hiddenness, your obscurity, just like Jesus had to. You know, Jesus only led a public ministry kind of like this for 36 months, but he lived, a, he lived an obscure, hidden, isolated life for 30 years. Most of his life was in hiddenness, like some of you can relate to. You're the assistant to the assistant. You're not the manager. You're not the president. In fact, some of you have had life taken away from you because you've spent some time in prison. Some of you have had life taken away from you because your husband's left you. Or the person that you loved left you. And just, it was not the life you thought you'd have. You thought it'd be different for you. But something happens in the hidden years, friends. Something happens in the difficult times when it's not all lights and it's not all music and it's not all happy times. There's something that happens in our life that we need to be reminded of. The Bible says that the predominant metaphor of the Christian life is you and I are clay. And there's these potter's hands that are after us and they're squeezing us and pressing us. And some of you are being squeezed and pressed and you've lost your job and you just feel like I can't take it anymore. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. There's too much month. There's not enough money. And it feels tension and it feels tight. Let me remind you, be content in those isolated dark times because the potter's at work. He's not forgotten you. Your clay is not just sitting here on a table while he's over here working on Benji's clay. No, he loves everyone who is clay he loves. He loves you and you and you in the back and you that just came in. He loves you. Be content because the potter loves and works on that clay. Just like in Joseph's time in the Bible, he was thrown in prison, remember, in Genesis 38. He spent a long time in prison for something he didn't do. And yet God used that time to spare the whole country of Israel. When he got out of prison, he was in a place that he was in such a place that he could help everyone. Because he had spent time in prison, Paul, the one we love who wrote so much of our Bible, spent years in prison. Years. 
He was in a hidden, isolated, difficult time. And yet God loved Paul and molded Paul's clay to to something when Paul wrote these words, I've become content in whatever situation I am. If I'm chained to the door, I'm content. See, this is why that that verse says, be content in obscurity. Some of us are struggling and thinking life will not begin until we get well known. Life does not begin until you have a thousand Facebook friends. Life does not begin until you get your blog launched and everybody's reading what you think. We think that life is about being famous and life is about personality But for 30 years, there was no fame to Jesus, none. Now, many of us, in fact, most of us are in that season of life. How you doing with it? See, it is a time that God's at work with you if if you're about ready to be handed the pink slip. That's your invitation for God to work in your heart. It's your invitation when you get married and you, you, you just realize that, oh, this is so much more than I ever thought it was going to be for two to become one. Isn't that weird? The easiest way for us to become one is physically and sexually to become emotionally one. It's just work. And those long, hard years of investment, God's at work. And I want to assure you that he's not forsaken you. Because God's at work when you were in the hidden, difficult, isolated, challenging times of your life. That's when God's really at work. Preparing you. Working on you. Pinching off this part of your clay. Tearing off this rough spot. Blemishing this, unblemishing this pot so it'd just be beautiful and radiant. I want you to learn to rest in God's hands like Jesus did. He just didn't struggle and say when he was 18 years old, oh God, release me, I want a great ministry. No, he stayed 18 and then 22 and then 27 and then 29. Not till he was 30 did he come on the scene in a public way. And so your time of waiting might just be a little bit longer. Your time of waiting as a church might just be a little bit longer. I know you've worked hard to get to where you have been. But there are seasons in the life of the church. There's seasons in the pastor's life. Benji needed a breather. He needed a time. You just can't not go 90 miles an hour. God didn't design the church or the pastor or the body of Christ to go 90 miles an hour. Sometimes we just need a season. We're just going to breathe. Feels good. And the second way I want to talk to you about is a, something that I think will really impact all of us, and it's this the way of the table. In American culture, we're giving up eating together. But when you Consider the life of Jesus and how Jesus lived his life. He did most of his teaching with people sitting around the table. Come. And food just became, well, it just became the thing that brought people together. 
Now, living in Colorado, sometimes we dream of Bojangles. <laughs> and I mean, it is a good dream. <laughs> and this morning when I woke up, we're staying with friends in Woodcroft. I dreamed of bows and I thought, got on my phone and said, where's the closest bows? And I drove down there and had me a good old sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. And I sat there and it was good. And I sat there thinking how sad it was that Jesus would never eat sausage. <laughs> Nor had a piece of bacon ever crossed his tongue. And I felt so sad for him that he had not had the delicacy of the South, that bacon, lettuce, and tamise with Duke's mayonnaise on it. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know if you know what heaven is. <laughs> but when we come to the way of the table and we realize that Jesus had most of his teaching around the table, Americans have given it up because we're the fast food nation. We buy french fries and throw them in the back seat of our car as we take our kids here on Monday and feed them pizza on Tuesday and Chick-fil-A on Wednesday and something else on Thursday. We have become the glorified fast food nation and we are giving up this table. See, something happens around the way of the table. I want to remind you, when you're a follower of Jesus, you sit at a table and someone sits with you and you connect. You start talking. How's your day? How's your mama? How's your job? It's not so much about the food, although some would argue that. It's about connecting at the table. And when we give up the way of the table, we've given up a lot. I want to remind you that the last thing that Jesus said, according to the great theologian John, when he wrote his epistle to the New Testament, were these three words, come have breakfast. There he was after he had been crucified, died and buried. He is resurrected and goes out and finds the disciples fishing on the seashore. And he could have said anything to them. He could have said, before I go to heaven, I want to tell you some final things I've never been able to tell you. I want to tell you why people have cancer and die. I want to tell you why tsunamis come and will wipe out uh, half a million people in Japan. I want to tell you about plagues and E. coli bacteria. I want to tell you why mean people come into movie theaters and mow down innocent people when they're simply watching a movie. I want to explain a lot to you, but he didn't do it. He said, no, come have breakfast. See, breakfast is that place of intimacy. 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 Come have breakfast. It's not about the fish or the cheese grits with Parmesan sprinkles on them, <laughs> salt and pepper and butter. It's not about that. It's not about Bojangles. It's about coming together. In this book, I tell you about the sad statistics that happen in uh, Life, when people give up this table, we're three and a half times more likely to have 
uh, children are three and a half more times likely to abuse prescription drugs if their parents don't eat together three times a week. We're three and a half times likelier to have used an illegal drug other than marijuana or prescription drug if we give up the table. If we give up the way of the table, our children are three times likelier to experiment with marijuana. These are not Christian statistics. These are the statistics of the U.S. government, the Food and Health and Drug Administration. We're two and a half times likelier to start experimenting with tobacco. See, we'll fill anything to fill the hole inside. The table lets us fill the hole of our soul. We need each other. I need my dad. I need my mom. I belong at the table. Don't give up the way of the table. I want us to turn like in culture and not embrace becoming a fast food nation. I want us to come together and fix food together. Let's have breakfast together. Let's connect. Let's talk. We're giving up talking. And now in the middle years of Gwen's and my life, after being married for 33 years, the greatest temptation after raising four men children three officers in the army and one a PGA professional playing golf is to give up the table and go eat with Diane Sawyer or the CNN folk. Just sit there and slide it into our face and tell me the news and fill my gut. We need to resist this because when we give in to watching television, we've given up the table. Jesus used the table to allow people to come together. If you're single, we need to find each other. We need to have Sabbath suppers together for six or four. It's one of the greatest things this church can do is to bring people together and let them turn. It's never about the food. It's about connecting. We connect at the table. Don't give the sacred table up. And didn't that what Jesus said in his sacred table, in the Eucharist, the way Benji prayed in the service, and I appreciated that, Benji. We're not supposed to give up the Eucharist table, but do it more and more. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Eat and feast because we find each other at the table. My church in Colorado, sometimes we come forward and our pastor encourages us just to come forward like beggars. We just hold our hands out and I don't know how you do it. Sometimes we pass it and it doesn't matter. But sometimes when that bread, that simple piece of bread is put into my hands, it's a feast and I see somebody else needing that bread. Don't you need the bread? Don't you need the cup? Don't you need the cup of Jesus? Come to the table. Come to the table. Come to the table. It's the way of the table. Put your face like flint against the culture. Don't give up the way of the table. When I ask you for lunch, I'm not asking you to go get some protein and amino acids and carbohydrates and all that blood thinning stuff. I don't know what all that is. I'm saying, let's have time. How's your world? You know what I do with my best friend? He meets me halfway from Denver. I live in Colorado Springs, and we sit at a restaurant, and it's never about the food. It's just some ugly, raunchy place by the side of the road that we meet, and we ask ourselves two questions. What is the beautiful and what is the brutal that has happened in your life this week? And I like that for you. 
what is the brutal and what is the beautiful that has happened in your life this week. And mothers, you use that and that's for free to get your kid to talk. Tell me what's been brutal. Tell me what's been beautiful. That's an old, 1,500-year-old spiritual discipline this old man named Ignatius came up with just to get people to talk. Tell me about the beautiful. Tell me about in your week where you've been comforted by God. And then tell me in your week about the brutal. Who's hurt you? Who said this? And do it over Bojangles. Do it over bacon. Do it over grits. Do it over salad. Do it over coleslaw. Do it over pimento cheese. Do it over potato salad. But do it. Come have breakfast. Now, I just think you need to sit with that. That if that's the last thing that Jesus said, according to John, it's very, very important. And I love him for that. And I look at this church and I think how beautifully designed it is and how you've got your coffee shop and your table and it's just like, man, there's clothes of the season, blowouts with tables and chairs and I just think how awesome it would be to fill up your patio with more tables and let just people sit. How's your, how's your brutal heart been since the last time? Has the hemorrhaging stopped? Has your daddy died? Has your sister been diagnosed yet about that lump in her breast? Oh, we just are moving way too fast. We are not machines. We are souls. And we need to stop, and Sabbath gives us that chance to do what is called that Sabbath meal. See, there's no hurry. We can just linger. I can finally talk and meet Benji's five kids, and he could know more about my beautiful grandchild, and I could tell him about this, and we could finally connect and see Sabbath is the place of connecting because there's no hurry. There should be no hurry. One of the reasons why you're not happy and one of these reasons why the joy barometer is on our life is that we are living in the cult of speed and we've given up the way of the table and we're eating by ourselves because I don't have time and we take it to our offices. Benji, I was in one of the largest churches in America and they made every staff member to come out of their office twice a day and meet around the fountain and they just talked. I challenge you. We can't live our lives in silos. We're to connect with each other. And just to talk and be together, we've given this up. And we're calling it the abundant life. And we're tired and we're exhausted and we feel lonely and we feel isolated. And there is no table for us. This is just lowering the cookies to the lowest shelf. You can have a table. You belong at the table. Come and eat. Your Savior, your Lord, invited you to sit at the table. Please, don't walk away and eat your potato chips by yourself. Come to the table. The third way I want to talk to you about is a hard way. And it's the way of family. You didn't choose your family? If I'd have chosen my family, I'd be Hispanic. 
I love Hispanic people. Are there some here today? Because you're hugging. There's salsa everywhere. Everybody's eating guacamole dip. And it's just like we're all together in the, in the family. And I just think, why couldn't I not have been born into a Hispanic mother, my mother named Rosa, Rosaida, or something like that. I didn't get the family I wanted, and you may not have either. I was placed in a family with a father who never told me three words. I never heard, I love you, Steve. When he was 80 years old, I said, Dad, there are three words I need to hear before you pass into eternity. I just simply need you to tell me that you love me. Heart-wrenching. It's called the father wound, and many men have it. They just have not connected with their fathers. Do you know that church gives us the best way to find new fathers, new brothers, new sisters, and new mothers? This verse of scripture says, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister. Wow. Say that with me. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister, quoted by Jesus himself. We can be family. Finally, I can connect. And if you're a younger man, one of the greatest needs and holes in a younger man's heart is to connect with an older man. I want a mentor. I want to know how to do this. We need each other. And the church gives us that best opportunity for young men without fathers to find father figures, for single mothers that are raising daughters to find father figures, to place, find this place of connection. The church is churches of brothers and sisters. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my father. You're my mother. Even if you feel like an old ragamuffin orphan child. Church is family. It's the way of family. There is no family at Duke Hospital. There is no family at Cisco. There is no family at your largest employers in the RTP. That is not family. You'll be replaced. You'll be laid off there. Oh, yes, you will. But not in the church. You belong. This is what Benji's talking about. I miss you. This is why you played that song, Welcome Back. Because you've missed him. You're connected. He's your brother. He's your spiritual father. We need this. And the way of family is to move from the corner and the back rows forward, just like you've done this morning. We need to become connected we need to be family. We need to be brother and sister. And Jesus says, whoever does the will of my father, you're my sister, you're my brother, you're my father, you're my mother. And in small groups, your life groups, this is where you come and you get to live it out. You get to love and be loved. You get to touch and be touched. You get to serve and you get to serve them. 
This is the way it becomes reciprocal in a healthy family. For some of us that were raised in dysfunctional families, where something was really wrong or you were inappropriately touched sexually, you were molested, you were abused, church becomes this healing place. Oh, heal me of my soul. Oh, heal me of my hemorrhage. We need to, church becomes the place where we tell our story. It's all we've got. Tell me your story. I'll tell you mine. You bring the water, I'll bring the wine. You tell me your place of brokenness, I'll tell you mine. You touch me where I'm hurting, I'll touch you where you're hurting. Oh, we're connected. Oh. Only here. Only here. I work with thousands of leaders in the corporate world and thousands of leaders in ministry. And the church is the only place I know where we can find each other. And this wonderful word, love and be loved. Celebrate and be celebrated. Touch and be touched. Don't give up the way of the family. Resist the culture. Be committed more. Benji's calling you after this respite that he's had. He's going to call you, I know, to a new level of commitment. And that's a new call. Let's really be tied. Blessed be the tie that binds. Some of you are old recovering Baptists like me and you know that. It says, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship here is like the fellowship up there with those our mothers and our fathers that have gone on before, we can have it. We can replicate it. Come on. Don't give up the way of family. Don't give up the way of the table. Don't give up the way of hiddenness. And finally, don't give up this way. The way of doing good. It's very simple. A few weeks ago, Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, died. And his movement and his book changed the landscape of not only corporate America, but church America, even though he was Mormon. Because he said the most important thing any person organization, company, or church can do is to establish a mission statement. Why are you alive? Why do you exist? Your mission statement at New Hope Church is on one of your slides that when you walk in, it says New Hope Church exists too. I don't know if you caught it, but they're trying to say this is our purpose but here's the mission statement for Jesus. Jesus went around doing good. Say that with me. Jesus went around doing good. Now this is where the cookies get lowered to the lowest shelf. It's not that hard 
to be a follower of Jesus. You simply need to be doing good. Fathers, you need to be doing good to your children. You need to hug them and love them and look in their eyes and tell them that you love them. Mothers, you need to do good to your girls and look in their eyes and say, you are beautiful not because of your body, not because of your small waist size or your big breast size. You are beautiful because God thinks you're beautiful and I'm delighted in you and I'm crazy about you. We got to reverse the culture because we're flowing down the ways of the world and you can help. We have to reverse this stuff. We have to speak the truth as it's spoken. We're never going to be told we're loved anywhere else other than places like this in church. You think your boss tomorrow is going to tell you he loves you? No, he loves you if you work your butt off. He'll love you if you get your numbers up. She'll love you if, if, if. We need to do good. We need to tell fatherless boys that God loves them, that we see the glory of God in their face. That's doing good. We need to do good to our neighbors all around us wherever we live because Jesus simply went around doing good. Now, you can do this. And when we follow in these four ways, we can relax in the way of hiddenness because it takes the pressure off of us to have to perform. We just relax in the potter's hands. You know, just relax. You got demoted. Somebody abandoned you. You are in the potter's hands. It's the way of hiddenness. Jesus had 30 years there. The way of the table, you can do it. I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to turn like a salmon turns in the month of September and starts flowing up the streams of Washington State and going back. I'm asking you to turn the current and be a table-oriented church, even with the Eucharist even with the Lord's Supper, be table. People are starving spiritually. You invite me to this table and you said, there's a place for me at this table. Benji, remind me that there's a place for me at the table. Tell me that I'm not excluded, even if I'm late, even if I'm black, even if I'm Hispanic, even if I'm fat, even if I'm anorexic. Tell me there's a place at the table. Because there is. Love it that one day the greatest image that we have of heaven is this banquet. And one day you and I, and it could be tonight. That's the crazy thing. A couple weeks ago, a young man was hit by a car walking across Highway 54 after having worked all day at Harris Teeter. He's fighting for his life at Duke Hospital right at this moment. And it could be tonight that Jesus says, Andy, come and sit at my table. 
I've prepared a place for you. You belong. You belong. You belong. See, we're, we're invited to live. I'd love that for you. I want you to live before you die. And I want you to have a life that is not just a life of surviving. That's not the life he came to promise. He said, I came to give you a satisfying life, John 10.10. I want you to really live. I want your marriage to move from a D minus marriage to a B plus marriage. Yours and yours and yours and yours. That's living. Don't give up on mediocrity and busyness and call it the abundant life. The abundant life is not as Joel Olstein has told many of us that it's about equated with material prosperity. I know plenty of rich people who are miserable. Plenty of them. Plenty of them. It's, the abundant life is not about material prosperity. It's about my heart. It's about my connection. It's about being loved. It's about helping people. That's the abundant life. And I ask you to move into it. And I ask you, partnering with Benji, this great staff of this church, listen, we worship Jesus. We're about to sing a song that's going to knock your socks off. We don't worship this church or these lights or technology. We worship Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And he has invited you to live before you die. I love it. Pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. I want you to stand with me. Just stand. You're standing in the presence of the one who is the life. Not lie. You're standing in the one who is the way. Not a dead end. You're standing in the presence of the one that said, I want you to live. Before you really die. You've just been surviving. I want you now to culture and foster and cultivate real life. I want you to eat together and connect together. I want you to be family. I want you to move out and just simply do good as I did good. You're standing in the presence of the revealed Jesus Christ. May this rev revelation be revealing to you as we worship him, in Jesus' name. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you will join us next week. God bless and thank you for being part of our church family.